Welcome to another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm your show host, Julian Guderlai. I'm sitting here today outside of Victoria, British Columbia, on a beautiful farm, Ravenhill Farm, with Todd Howard, founder of Pacific Rim College. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be in your home zone here outside of Victoria, um, living on how many acres of land is this? Ten acres. Ten acres. Yeah, absolutely blown away by it. It's not even far from the city, but an absolute nature sanctuary. And Todd, tell us a little bit about like your story, how it came to be that you're out here. I said Pacific Rim College, and that's a journey I think that started 10 or more than 10 years ago. Yeah, it is. It's a college of holistic medicine and sustainable living. I founded it in 2006 uh, in Victoria. And not long after founding it, I met both, both of my current business partners, whom is my wife. And the farm actually was her, her dream and her vision. And it seemed to be a nice complement to what we were doing at the college, teaching herbal medicine, as well as other programs in holistic, holistic medicine. So buying a herb farm seemed like a great idea. And it's been something that we've really settled in very well too. It's a very grounding place, a great place to raise our kids. Beautiful. Yeah, that's the feeling being out here too. It's it's a total paradise. So tell us more about like the connection between an, an herb farm and herbal medicine. Like, is that where you started out in your career early early on? Yeah, I began my my education. I was always focused on healthcare. I had always wanted to be in some form of medicine. I ended up studying pre medicine in university. I had the intention of going on to med school, but somewhere along the lines. I didn't feel like I was getting what I had hoped for out of my education. And I actually had a, an injury, sports-related injury, dislocated shoulder, kept dislocating it one summer. I believe I was 19. And I ended up being scheduled for surgery, exploratory surgery. And a month before that surgery, I went to see an acupuncturist for the first time. And within an hour, he... No, I, within five minutes, he was able to diagnose exactly what he felt was wrong with my shoulder. And I believe he was very accurate with it. And he asked me to come back the next day so he could work on it. And it was one treatment of acupuncture and deep tissue massage. And after that, I was able to cancel my surgery. Wow. Um, since then, I've had one or two episodes of slight discomfort in my shoulder. But now sitting here almost 20 years later, I don't even remember what shoulder I injured. So it, was, <laughs> it was an amazing experience and I was on the track, track and field team at West Virginia University at the time and I told my coach about this experience and it turned out his brother was an acupuncturist oh, cool. in Canada who had studied in Sri Lanka and that really struck me as an opportunity I had never considered in medicine, studying something esoteric, or at least at the time and in the place where I was, such as acupuncture. And so I looked more into what his brother had done, and Sri Lanka sounded like an amazing place. I'd always loved traveling. And so I decided that when I finished my undergrad, instead of going on to med school, I would take some time and study acupuncture. And that was a great decision. I traveled straight to Sri Lanka and ended up spending a year there and then I spent about three months in China and uh, it was a life-changing experience 
I believe it. So 20, 20 years ago, just help us out to get some context. Like how commonly known were things like herbal medicine and acupuncture in, well, North America at a large? It's interesting. I grew up mostly in Maryland, and Maryland is one of the epicenters of alternative medicine in the United States. From the University of Maryland to the National Institutes of Health, uh, so much research comes out of Maryland, but I had not been exposed to acupuncture at all as a child living there. I'm not sure when I first learned what it was or became interested in it. I know it was probably sometime during my university studies, but I'm not sure how that happened. There probably wasn't an acupuncturist within 50 miles where I grew up, but I don't know because it was number something I looked into. But it was certainly in that region of the United States where I had grown up. I think it was very rare. Certainly. Well, even today, I love acupuncture, and I think a lot of the Eastern philosophies still need, need more exposure in, in Western uh, ways of living. But even today, not everybody is familiar with acupuncture. I still get people like, so what is that exactly? I used to get that a lot when I was traveling, yeah. especially when I was younger and traveling. People would ask, what do you do? And I always took joy in telling them I was an acupuncturist because I always knew that was a, an icebreaker or a conversation starter. And now I guess my view is a bit distorted because for the last 12 or 13 years, I've been involved with Pacific Rim College where we've taught thousands of acupuncturists and in Victoria, in BC, it's very well known and very accepted. So it's my my reality is certainly not the typical one. Yeah. Well, it's well known and accepted. Also, thank you to uh, Pacific Rim College because when I moved to Victoria about five years ago, I had the feeling like this city is like a mecca of like Western and Eastern philosophy meeting. And I think you guys have clearly played a role in in kind of creating that at least that perception and, and most likely also that reality that this has turned into a hot spot in Canada or maybe in all of North America for people to learn. We've tried, definitely. And it was one of my inspirations for starting the college. I, I felt that there needed to be an institution that focused more on integrative medicine than just on single, single disciplines. Because up until that point in time, most of the post-secondary training in healthcare was focused on one discipline, massage therapy, acupuncture, naturopathy. And so there were individual schools for these individual focal points, but not really any school in Canada, as far as I, I could tell, was taking a broader stroke approach and bringing those all together under one roof. And I saw that as both a challenge and an opportunity. And that's that was one of my biggest motivations for starting Pacific Rim College is to kind of create the innovation of combining the different modalities? Absolutely. And treating, and some people call it one medicine. And mm. one medicine is a philosophy that... Beautiful. It's, yeah. it's choosing whatever modality best suits the individual at that particular point in time. And in some cases, that might be emergency medicine from the ER. That might be a pharmaceutical approach. That might be massage therapy or a a counseling approach or acupuncture, typically it's a combination of a lot of different modalities. And kind of the principle for me behind all of those is, is above all else, do no harm. That's what Hippocrates said centuries ago. That was kind of the, uh, the premise, the underlying premise of medicine. Don't harm your patients. Help them. And so I feel that we 
we've kind of lost sight of that a great deal when it comes to contemporary Western medical approaches. And so with the more integrative approaches, it's, it's, it's bringing everything to the table and deciding what is going to be best to treat the patient, not the condition, not the symptoms, but the individual, the holistic being. Got it. However, though, you were scheduled for like a classic Western surgery as well. So you're not opposed to like Western modalities. You're just saying like go the no harm route, which often kind of takes mm. not a detour, but like a straight path through Eastern philosophy first. Yeah, I believe I was 19 or so when I was scheduled for an exploratory surgery and it didn't sit well with me. Yeah. I had had an x-ray, I had had either a CT or an MRI or both. I had had a number of appointments to different specialists and it was the orthopedic surgeon who at the end said, well, let's schedule you in for an exploratory surgery so we can see if there's anything we can do. And that whole concept seemed, it, it didn't, it wasn't in alignment with me. I didn't feel like I wanted someone to take a scalpel to my shoulder yeah. just so they could peek inside. And well, it sounds horrific, an exploratory, exploratory surgery. surgery. <laughs> we're just opening you up to explore? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully we can find something while we're in there and fix yeah. it. And when I went to see an acupuncturist for it, he did something that no one else had done. Who I, None of the specialists who I had seen had done this. And it was a very simple thing. He actually touched both of my shoulders and he compared them mm. no one else had done that i i don't even know if any of the specialists had even taken the time to physically look at my shoulder they looked at pictures of it they looked at their exams and scans i don't recall if anyone actually looked or touched my shoulder but he mm. he took the time to look at both to touch both check the range of motion palpate them and in doing so he was able to tell me exactly what was wrong and he was also able to tell me what he could use with his medical training to help correct that imbalance. I like that story. It, even though I do want to hear more about Pacific Rim College and kind of the journey you've been on, but it gets me to kind of segue into another topic at the same time, which is so holistically connected. Like it makes me think of the way our Western society operates at large, not just in a, the medical profession. I feel like we've gotten used to only looking at the pictures of something, the projection of something, to isolate it and to tell what is the problem with this. Mm -hmm. While in my life experience and with people that I've, I've had the honor to interview so far, what I'm learning is nothing is truly isolated. Everything is holistically in a connection with each other. So I, I feel like the a school for herbal medicine might also be like a school of philosophy for life. It is. It is. And... And we're teaching traditional medicines. We're teaching medicines that date back, in some cases, thousands of years, from traditional Chinese medicine to uh, indigenous herbal medical approaches, you know, nutrition. And, and we're teaching, in essence, yes, we are teaching ways of, of life, philosophies of life. And so it's something where everyone who comes through our school can can gather pearls of wisdom and gems of how to to live life in a more holistic way and to recognize exactly what you just said, that we are all interconnected. There is no separation between me and you and the rocks that are outside and the birds and the animals. We're all connected. And until we start as a whole recognizing that and believing that, there's going to be a lot of suffering in our, in our world. And 
I've chosen medicine as my as my target for impact because I, I strongly believe that unless we as individuals can experience personal vitality and true health, it's very difficult for us to really care about what is going on outside of our bodies. It's very difficult for us to realize our connection to each other and to all beings and to all matter if we're not feeling good about ourselves. And so there's a lot of different ways that we can approach healing our, our world. And I've chosen medicine as, as the way to, to make my mark or to leave an impact because I do feel that that vitality is something that most people never experience. I think most, most of us probably come into the world as infants, uh, as close to vital or as close to our highest state of health that we'll ever realize again because people don't often take the time to, to check in and become in tune with what, what their body needs and, and to eat the right foods and have the, make the right lifestyle choices to really live to our fullest potential. And so yeah. that's something that I've, I've always strived to do is what can I do personally to experience my own vitality and then how can I let that grow outward? Wow, that's certainly like a very deep rabbit hole to go into a lot of detail there. I feel I'm absolutely with you. That's been my own journey as well is to like learn to understand my own well-being and to learn the ups and downs of it and to learn the ins and outs of it. And that has to do with nutrition. It has to do with thoughts. It has to do with the thoughts you're, you're obsessing over or cultivating. Um, and it also does have to do with the outside world or the environment. I think uh, if I'm remembering that correctly, epigenetics teaches that, that like genes are activated by kind of the protein combination. And so that either has to do with an internal subconscious state or the external environment. So when I'm on a farm like this and it's spring here in Victoria today, so it, you know, all the flowers are out, even though it's raining, it's, it's a beautiful feeling. Um, I feel so much more in touch actually with listening to what my body is telling me. Do I want this other coffee? Oh, you know what? Actually, I'm already caffeinated. No, thank you. Or do I, am I hungry right now? Or do I just need like a small snack or protein bar to kind of have my brain be crisp? When I'm in a city, I, I don't struggle with it at this point anymore, but I certainly have a complete different access to it. It's a lot harder for me to listen to like the super internal ins and outs because I'm so overstimulated with my external reality. Where does that, where does that kind of take you? Like what is the observation you've made? Because I, I know you've traveled a lot and I, I want to hear a bit about that. <laughs> Yeah, I have traveled quite a bit. I started basically, uh, most of my travels came when I started university, university. I ended up studying at about seven different schools, primarily so I could travel. I took part in exchange programs, uh, transferred a few different times. I was, for me, education was, it was more available to me through the natural world than it was in the classroom. And probably the only reason I was actually in university was for my running career at that point in time. That was my focus. And growing up in the States, that's, that's where you went to, to explore your, your athletic abilities. And university was just the, kind of the stepping stone out of high school to do that. And it was also kind of expected, too. We, at least when I grew up, things such as gap years weren't... I don't know if anyone knew what a gap year was where I grew up. It was something where you finished grade 12 and you went on to university. And uh, I find that that gap year that I never had, at least in a formal 
way was something that I kind of substituted through traveling and going to different schools. And that was, that was the classroom for me, the world. It was amazing. Uh, once I, once I realized I wanted to study acupuncture, I traveled to Sri Lanka and China to study and had amazing experiences. And from there, I traveled to all sorts of countries in, in Asia and Europe, and all told it's 30 or 40 countries I've been to. And I haven't done a whole lot of traveling in the last decade, but prior to that, that was, that was something that I did extensively. Yeah, I like that. I feel like it's, I'm not sure if it's a quote actually, but it resonates with my own mindset of like, in order to have a worldview, you somehow have to view the world first. Mm. So when you say, Absolutely. yeah, when you say traveling is like the classroom, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it directly connects with me what, what I experience when I'm on a land like, uh, a piece of land like this. It's like I am making a learning with nature, while for a lot of people on the observational plane, not a lot is happening. It's just I'm, I'm either listening or, or observing or, mm -hmm. or perceiving the, the role of trees, right, on the, the larger place of, of our climate, for example, or simply the ecosystem that they're in. So, yeah, I, I totally resonate that the land is like a primary teacher. The land, the culture, the people, it's, it's all really been a major impact on me and, and my journey in life. It's, uh, it, it certainly helped to fuel my vision for Pacific Rim College. That was something that prior to, to traveling, I'd, I had no, um, no inspiration to start up a college. Mm -hmm. It was not something that was on my radar, but it... It was through that experience and learning about different forms of medicine and having different teachers and mentors that I realized it was something that I wanted to continue to propagate and help to, to carry forward. So one day you just knew I have to do this or how did that, that kind of aha moment happen where you're like, I'm going to found a college? Yeah, it was a stepwise process. My mentor in Sri Lanka, Dr. Anton Jayasuriya, was a nationally renowned surgeon, acupuncturist, homeopath. He was, I, I'd say he was a genius. He was a brilliant man. And he taught thousands and thousands of people to do acupuncture. And he treated millions of people free of charge uh, with his acupuncture. And when I was there working with him, I think I had been there for probably two months. And his style of teaching was throughout the day, he had a couple of medical clinics where we worked at teaching clinics where we would treat hundreds of patients a day. And two or three times a day, he would gather anyone around who cared to listen and he would share stories. And that was his way of teaching. He didn't have formal curriculum. He would be inspired by a patient who walked in the door and he would remember first treating that patient 10 years ago, or in some cases he would remember treating that patient's grandmother 40 years ago. Wow. And he would remember every detail about the about the disorder, about the diagnosis, about the treatment, about the family history. He was, as I said, he was just brilliant. And so he would share these remarkable stories and he was a joke teller and he would tell jokes throughout and everything that he said just kind of stuck with me. Mm. And one of his trademarks was that if anyone pulled out a notebook to write down anything, he would come around and he would take the notebook and pen away and he would he would remind everyone just to be present wow don't worry about taking notes just, that is such a good piece of advice just be, just, present. just be present don't take notes and so that's what I started to do I really was just engrossed in the way that he told his stories and how those stories were education and then one day he was about to uh, what I thought was set up for his one of his lectures 
And he gathered everyone around and he said, right, I have a, a meeting I must be off to. And this was a, a rare thing for him to leave. And he pointed to me and he said, today Todd's going to deliver the lecture. And I was just speechless. <laughs> out sitting, of nowhere? I'm sitting in my seat out of nowhere. And I don't like, as I said, I think I had only been there two, maybe three months. He knew I had a background in, in medicine. Um, but as far as my background in acupuncture, it was two or three months old. And here I was put in a hot seat and supposed to teach uh, what would have been an audience of patients, but then also medical practitioners, doctors, uh, physiotherapists, massage therapists, etc., who had traveled to Sri Lanka to learn some of acupuncture. And so it was really both an intimidating experience for me and also a, it was a revelation for me. He kind of pushed you over the edge he, there. He pushed me into it and he intuitively... He knew that I could handle it, yes. and I did, and I ended up thriving in that environment, and I ended up teaching quite a number of regular lectures as a result of that, and so that was my introduction to teaching. I realized, well, this is something I, I can offer. It's something I enjoy, and so when I ended up moving to Canada, to Victoria, it wasn't too many years before I realized that there was an opportunity to open up a college here, and it was... I had begun teaching. There were a few schools here in Victoria who taught that taught traditional Chinese medicine, and I had begun teaching at. I had studied herbs at one of them. I had begun teaching at another one, and uh, it was during my experiences with those that I realized that there was an opportunity to do it in a different way, to do it in a better way, in essence, and then to integrate other forms of medicine into it. And so, it just kind of spiraled. I was. 26 or 27 at the time when I decided to do it. It was a very naive idea, but it felt in complete alignment with with everything that mattered to me. And so it was never, it was never something that I second-guessed. It was never a, a challenge that I was intimidated by. It was just something where I knew I just had to keep taking one step after another and and create this thing and it was it was amazing how it all came together and and uh, how it all worked we ended up opening in in 2007 with three students we had a, a team of probably 15 and three students and three students uh -huh. and, and so it was uh, it was a slow start but it's it was it's been such an amazing journey but I think that's that's the case in so many stories that I'm hearing is it starts somewhere and it normally starts a lot humbler than you'd like it to be mm. and three students but at least it started and because I heard something very like powerful in there which is you you didn't doubt mm. you knew this was in alignment right I mean in retrospect 12 years later now it's probably very easy to see that but on those days you you just had this conviction that was true to how would you say like is that purpose is that is that what it, it was felt like it was purpose it was definitely purpose at the time and and actually now 12 years later looking back on it i think why did i do this <laughs> like how was i so ambitious or courageous or what or naive whatever mm -hmm. it took to do it because looking at where i am today would i want to start something like this from nothing and i had leveraged everything i i i had put I had taken out credit card debt from credit cards from the States. Uh, I actually funded most of the, the starting of the company on credit cards. 
and uh, I, I put everything into it. And at that time, I wasn't even a Canadian resident, let alone a citizen. Oh, wow. And so I had no idea if I was actually going to be able to stay in Canada. You just knew you had to do it? I just knew I had to do it. And it was something where I actually had to uh, just put faith that it was all going to work, whether I was going to be here or not. But I never doubted that I would find a way to be here. But it, that itself was quite a journey with some ups and downs, but it all, I think I ended up getting notice of my Canadian residency the week the school officially opened, which was... That's another perfect piece of alignment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> wow. So from three students on the first day, yeah. 12 years later, do you know how many student, students went through your, your college? I don't know how many have gone through. We, right now we're basically at our capacity for our, our main campus. We have about 300 full-time students which is where we've been now for probably about five years. And that's where we're comfortable with that. We've, uh, we've expanded physically quite a number of times. And now we're at the point where uh, I think we, we all feel that it's more important for us right now to focus on the quality than it is on the quantity. And we have a, a great team and we feel the education that we're delivering is 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 wonderful and we just want to keep focusing on making sure we're doing as best of a job with that as we can and then uh, what we are doing now is we're focused on launching an online division of the college so pacific rim college online and that goes live in may of 2018 where can people find that well when it goes online it'll be on on our website yeah got it wow so 300 students a year right now, and where are those people from? Are they mainly from Canada or all over North America or even like everywhere? We've had students from well over 40 countries. We've lost lost count of that. They do come from all over. The majority at any given time will be from Canada, Yeah, just based on geography, but Canada and the United States, but we'll, we'll have them from, from everywhere. So it's... It's it's a great cultural melting pot, mm. the atmosphere at the college, and because students are studying, we have uh, 10 or 11 different programs, and often students will be in the classroom with someone not only from another country, but someone who's actually studying in another program entirely, and so it's a great opportunity to explore different medical tra- traditions, different cultures, uh, and it's it's truly integrative. It's the experience that I really had set out with in my mind as, as being something that I wanted to create. Yeah, I actually personally know a couple of people that either have gone to school at Pacific Rim or are going there now. And uh, it it seems to be that that's how people experience it as well. Is this like ecosystem of like a cultural melting pot of different ideas, of innovative ideas, but also like an expertise and high quality of learning. So yeah, I'm I'm blown away with what what you've built there. Actually, I think it's a, a lot more what our society needs is integrating different streams of healing or teaching to really help each individual to thrive who, who they are. I have a completely different question for you, or kind of a follow up question on that. More about like your personal life, because you mentioned earlier your wife is one of your business partners. You have two children yeah. that are running around here on this property as we speak, and you're clearly also like very busy with running a school like this. How does all that come to balance for you? What is important to have that be in balance? For years, it felt like I was chasing balance. felt like I had a lot of different irons in the fire, but they were all in different directions. And at some point, probably not long after starting the college, it finally seemed like everything 
was coming together on on the same journey, if not even on the same path. And so now what I feel is a great sense of of gratitude for the balance that I do have in my life. It's, it all very, very much is in alignment from the philosophies that we teach at the college and how I can transfer those into philosophies that we have on, on being stewards of this land and to raising our children. It comes from a very holistic perspective and I've been able to to bring everything together so that I don't feel like I'm torn in a lot of different directions. I have a lot on my plate, but it does not feel busy. It feels mm. balanced and again, I have a great deal of gratitude for, for the opportunities that are there for me. Uh, I find that lifestyle is extremely important to me. My wife and I primarily work from the farm. This is where our offices are. We have a great team at the college. We have well, we've lost count, but 70 or 80 employees and a core team of, core administrative team of about 20 who, who do an amazing job on site. So we don't feel the, the need to be there every day as we used to be. And that allows us to be here and to explore other passions. We're both artists in our own, of our own sorts. And I, my passion's writing. And so that's, for me, that really helps to tie together everything that I do. I spend a lot of time with my journal or with my computer, just writing and and uh, being here. And, and the studio where we're sitting right now is, is where I do most of my writing. So it's a very, it's a wonderful space for me to be. Well, it, it truly is. I, re- I really like uh, the feeling here, but also you have ocean view and mountain view at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it goat. must be inspiring. And, and goat view. And our goats and dogs wandering around yeah. and, and the wild, all the birds. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Todd, do you have like a definition for happiness or, or if not, what does happiness mean to you? Hmm, that's a tough question. I do not have a, a definitive definition for it. Happiness is, it's above all else. I, truly, it's, it's something that I, I recognize is not it's not based on success. It's not based on wealth or materialism. It's based on an inner sense of, of contentment and bliss and joy. And I feel like most of the time I'm able to, to be in that space. And it's, and it's, it's a wonderful space to be. It's, uh, I've spent a lot of years starting the college and, and building the college with my, my nose to the grindstone and at times, yeah, I could get a bit caught up in it and a bit overwhelmed. And as a matter of fact, our first two homes, my wife and I basically chose those based on walking distance to the college so we could make sure that we could be there whenever needed. So I think our first home was an eight-minute walk and the second one was about a six-minute walk. And uh, switching to farm life, which even still is only a 30-minute drive, but it's, it feels like another world. And uh, switching here was it was a big adjustment for me to make in in spirit, and then it took about a day of actually being on the farm for me to go, oh yeah, this this is what I needed. This nice. is life, and it's really just been a wonderful full opportunity for me to to bring that um, more of that holistic perspective into my life, and more of that groundedness and a place to raise our kids. It's it's been amazing. Yeah, and 
I think this is very visible, but also like being here on, on your farm with you, I can feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is, it's one thing to talk about things. I think this is a common uh, thread in our society. We, we think words teach, but I don't really believe words teach too much. I think words can inspire, but life experience is really what teaches. So coming here onto this land and this farm and like just realizing I've walked into somebody's um, home that, that has set up life, kind of set it up by design. But what I'm also feeling here is like truth or true self-expression. You know, you said it twice in this interview, like yeah. you had no doubt that you had to start the college. Mm -hmm. And then when you first day you get here on the property, you're like, okay, mm. like this is it. Right. And I think this true self-expression with no doubt is what a lot of people are kind of looking for. Mm. So how does that, how does doubt, maybe that's a good question. How does doubt um, play a role for you? Is it, is it there at times or are you always like really crystal clear? Oh, it's certainly, it would be there at times. I think earlier on before I met my wife, I probably, well, I don't remember. It was so long ago. I know now that my wife is, is such a, an important part of my life that we really work together well in that realm. We, we bounce ideas off of one another. We help to excite. We also help to, to mitigate excitement to make sure that we're, we're doing the right things or on the right path. And so typically now it's, it's something where we know that if both of us feel aligned in our hearts, we've, we've really got something. And if only one of us is, we normally sit with it for a while and we, we explore it a bit more and, and we see. And uh, so it's really helped us to, to make decisions that we can do with, without doubt. And moving to the farm was one of those. And this was certainly something that she pushed forward. It was more of her dream. And, uh, but at the same time, it felt in alignment to me. It was just stepping out of my comfort zone. Mm. But that's not normally something I shy away from. So I'm, I'm happy that I came along for that experience. But I would say working alongside with her is, it's very comforting. Got it. So it's like a compliment that helps you conquer your own doubt or just be aware of it or, or know when it's doubt and know when it's clarity? Yeah, it is, I wouldn't say conquer doubt, and that's, I'm not looking to conquer doubt because I think doubt is there as, as an indicator from the heart to tread lightly. So it's not about conquering that because I feel like that's pushing things forward that maybe shouldn't be pushed forward. So it is, it's just more gauge for me to know when I'm in alignment with my integrity and with okay. my heart. Uh, that's a great distinction and, and thank you for, for stepping into that because we came from talking about like holistic health and how everything is interconnected and then I think one of the side effects of this pharmaceutical industry that we've created is we, we're looking for this silver bullet solution, the, like the one pill that heals it all, that gets rid of our doubt, that gets rid of our unhappiness mm. instead of fully embracing life as it is and realizing everything has a purpose and a meaning if, if we let it Absolutely. It's a, it's a symptomatic approach and symptoms we've, we've kind of in this culture are viewed as being signs of negativity. Mm. And when in fact symptoms are, they're just messages. They're messages that our body or the environment is giving to say something's out of balance. It's time that we look at it differently. Otherwise it's going to continue to get worse and worse. And so unfortunately the pharmaceutical industry is very much based on eradicating symptoms and it's 
you know, to take a painkiller to make the pain go away, it's going to work. Yeah, you're not going to feel that pain, but what sort of damage are you now going to do because you're walking on an ankle that actually needs to be rested? And that's pain, that's suffering, that's any message that your body is delivering. We're so quick to just try to shut that message out and treat that message as the actual illness or disease, inflammation. Take anti-inflammatories. Well, inflammation is part of your healing response. It's your body trying to isolate an injury and heal. And to take a drug to interfere with that is it's counterintuitive. So yeah, unfortunately, it is the pharmaceutical approach and, and the traditional Western medical approach is very much anti-holistic. It's how do we have a quick fix? How do we cover this up so that we no longer are aware of it, so we no longer feel it? And that's not the holistic approach at all. Does it have its place, though? Absolutely. Next to the holistic approach? Absolutely. Yeah. It certainly does. And uh, ask anyone who's had a loved one or have their own life saved in an emergency room or Absolutely, yeah. had a physical trauma that they needed needed surgery to take care of. It certainly has its place. And there are, there are pharmaceuticals. There are drugs that I believe have their place, but they need to be used for the right reasons, at the right time, in the right way. And to take six different drugs because five of them are treating the side effects of the main one, that's not the right way, in my opinion. It's uh, it's about taking a balanced approach and realizing that, okay, well, if, if this drug maybe is necessary, what other therapies can we can we integrate alongside it to make sure that the side effects are as minimal as possible? whether that be nutrition or acupuncture or, or whatever it else it is. Yeah, I like, I like where this is going. I have a, a question that just kind of came up right in, in this moment. So as somebody who is running a college, do you think in order to grow a more holistic society, like a society that is in, where people are in touch with themselves, are in touch with the environment they live in, are in touch with kind of their, their intuitive knowledge and also the factual knowledge, do we need more authority figures like like doctors to tell us what's wrong with us or what's right with us or or is it a necessary piece in the chain and and will help people to be more self-educated? I think more than anything we need to listen to our bodies. And that's something that I think most people do not do. Most people are afraid to do. And even when the messages come in, they try to take measures to to quiet those messages. Uh, I think certainly having Figures who are inspiring, who are are teaching a more holistic viewpoint to life and medicine. Yeah, that'd be great. That's that's very helpful. And uh, unfortunately, there they seem to be few and far between. At least those who have a broad enough reach to make a hmm. a major impact. Well, and you're saying inspiring and not authority figure. That is like your ultimate right or wrong giver. Well, it's. Yeah, as an example from from my profession in the area of nutrition, uh, it is there's so many different viewpoints to what good nutrition is, and we'll have experts come and lecture at the college on a weekly basis, and you take any two of them, and they might have opinions that are complete opposites. Right. And it's uh, some are going to be based on ancient cultures, some are going to be based on contemporary scientific beliefs, some are based on empirical evidence, some are based on statistical evidence, and it's 
there's so many different ways to look at it. And I think that we have to be more comfortable taking an intuitive approach and listening to what our bodies are telling us and listening to the feedback. You eat this and you feel great. You eat this and you feel uh, not so great. Right. Uh, you get enough sleep and things are good. You don't and things are bad. It's you're in the in the presence of an individual who makes you have knots in your stomach versus someone who makes you feel relaxed. These are just things I think we a lot of cues that I don't think we listen to that will really help to guide us if if we did take the time to realize that it's uh, they're. They are the authoritative, authoritative figures, so to speak. They are the, the guides that, that we really should be paying more attention to, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have two more questions for you be, before we wrap up this conversation. And you've already been dropping all kinds of like really great pieces of wisdom. Are there like three things that you would pass on to, let's say you have an apprentice, somebody who was following you around. What, are, what would be three things that you could pass on to them that you've learned Uh, either in your profession or in your life? Well, that's a great question. Puts me on the spot. Well, for one, you just said listening to our own bodies, right? Which I think is, mm -hmm. we, we can count that as, as one because it, it is such a profound piece of what your creation Pacific Rim College stands for, but also I think yeah. everybody in the world needs to hear. Yeah, I think it's extremely important. Uh, another one that comes to mind is integrity. And that's going to mean different things for different people. But for me, it is... It is an inner alignment and an, and an outer alignment that allows us to act within, within the boundaries that ensure that we are, we are acting to our, uh, our greatest potential uh, with the greatest regard for, for everyone who is impacted by our actions and everything that is impacted by our actions. And for me, having that concept of integrity is is really something that i check in with on every time i'm making a decision it's it's helped to guide me in a way that those doubts that you spoke of i can i can i can know that if i'm acting within my integrity that uh, i'm not going to have doubts about something it's going to feel aligned and feel right and so that's been that's been a great one for me and it's been a long journey to get that as one of my guiding compasses i certainly did not have that growing up and I did not have that in my probably my early adult years and it's something that I think being a parent has really helped to shape that being a business owner being a partner uh, those have all been things that have really helped to shape uh, that compass within me and also making countless mistakes mm -hmm. uh, by not acting in alignment with my integrity has has been uh, all of those things have been really helpful but now it's uh, it's probably the single most important cue that I I check in with before making any any decision or any action and for me I guess if I'm bringing in a third one having just mentioned my kids being a parent uh, children are, are amazing and I have enjoyed being a dad probably more than anything else in my life and uh, to be able to to teach them things and to show them things that I wish I had learned when I was younger. Uh, it's been such an amazing experience. Uh, we're, we're actually looking at, out over our goat pasture on Christmas Day this year. We had snow, one of the rare times we have snow on the ground here. And my son was just, he couldn't wait to go out and go sledding. And I promised we would, so we went out, my daughter and son and I, 
and uh, we each took one, one turn on the plastic sled. My two kids went first, and then I went third. And on my very first sled, uh, I hit some rocks, and I just shattered the sled. And my son was just beside himself and in tears, and let's go get another one, Dad. We need to get a sled, and it's Christmas Day. Nothing's open. And so I, I, he was devastated, and I was trying to help comfort him. And like, it's, it's okay, Ollie. We're going to figure this out. This is an opportunity to, to work together and, and, and figure something out. And so we tried everything from putting the sled in a trash bag to duct taping it. I was literally considering taking the hood off of my car just so we could go sledding. <laughs> just anything to yeah. appease him. It was Create like, a new possibility. It was breaking my heart. Rubbermaid containers. We tried it all. And uh, I was just about to give up. And then I remembered in our barn, we have an old pair of snow skis that came with the barn. And uh, that was that was the moment. I was like, Ollie, come on, let's go to the barn. And we ended up spending the next 20 minutes building a, a cedar platform on top of the snow skis. We did it together. It was great. And then we came out and we spent the rest of the day riding the sled and snowboarding on it and skiing on it. And my wife came out and my wife's mom. And we had so much fun. And uh, the moral was that I, I kept passing on to Ollie was challenge equals opportunity. And so I, I asked him that throughout the day. Challenge equals what, Ollie? And he was four at the time. And he'd say, opportunity. And so that was something that, <laughs> just one of those, wow. one of those, an example of just never, being able to, give up, to yeah. pass something on to my kids that I probably hadn't been exposed to in quite the same way. And, and to look at all those challenges and all those sufferings that we experience on a daily basis, because we do, we experience it all on a daily basis. It's, a, it's an opportunity to grow. And if you're not pushed out of your comfort zones by challenge or suffering, you're not growing. You're just having, you're, you're staying in the status quo. And so... That was it's something that I'm always looking for. I take every challenge and I try to be mindful of it and I try to realize that okay, this is it's uncomfortable. It might hurt, but it's an opportunity to mm. to learn, to grow, to experience, to change. And that's that's been a very uh, helpful helpful tool for me and in my life. Um, this is more like a visionary question. I'm never expecting anyone to have an accurate answer because we're talking about the future. This is a question that I came up with when I started the first, the first podcast episode, actually, which for me is, if we as humanity had a shared future vision of planet Earth, of our green planet, blue planet, what would yours be like? If you were to say 50 years, 100 years or 200 years in the future, what would be a vision that you'd say, this is a planet worth living on? Uh, well, to start with, I'd say this is certainly a planet worth living on that we have today. And I would love to see more people treat it as such. I, I feel in this political climate, far too many people are using, and people and politicians and lobbyists are using economic growth as a reason to take drastic measures, uh, which may end up eradicating great parts of the landscape or setting us up for potential catastrophes down the road and all of that seems to seems to get by when it does because of the the job creation the economic stability the growth the progress and i wish less people would buy into that and certainly there are are people who do not but not enough in my opinion at this point in time because we're really making decisions that they're hasty. They are 
in so many cases, I think based on greed, based on power, based on corruption, uh, based on things that some of us will probably never even learn about or understand, but they're not always based on what I feel is a greater integrity for the planet and for the creatures on this planet. Uh, if if that were the case, I think that if people were, were acting with that integrity and with that holistic perspective, decisions would be made so much differently than they are today. And uh, where, where those people are arguing that, oh, there's so many jobs will be created by this, what they don't realize or what they don't seem to care to look at is how many jobs would be lost when there's an environmental catastrophe and we lose that part of our tourism sector or that part of of whatever lifestyle sector it is it's it's something that we can't replace the environment we can't we can't regrow old growth forests it take thousands of years and yet we wipe them out uh, on a constant basis as if they're not important and that's something that oh, I would love to see a, a different perspective, uh, a larger perspective of, of holism, which again goes back to what I said earlier about people realizing their true vitality. I think if more people were healthy and exuberant and, and living in a truly balanced mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual way, that we would be looking at the planet and, our, and the environment in a much different fashion and treating it with... Uh, far greater care than what we are so i don't know if that answers the question uh, but i think it gives like a direction sign it's it's not maybe like a, this is where we will be in 200 years but nobody yeah. knows that anyway so i think what you're sharing it, it really touches my heart because i feel this is exactly what my own one of the possible answers of my own would be is like this this growing awareness for our well, our shared spaceship uh planet earth mm -hmm. and and kind of the repercussions that every choice Every action has a consequence. Absolutely. And we can't always foresee all the consequences, but we, we can be a lot more mindful that we currently are. And, you know, this is a famous Buckminster Fuller quote, and I think I'm, like, mentioning it in, in every episode, but I, I just love it so much. He asked the question, um, the, the quote is a question, he asked the question, what would it take to create a reality that works for everyone? And I think we're so far from having a, a true answer, mm -hmm. and I think it's a question that's worth the inquiry mm -hmm. continuous inquiry yeah a quote that I've carried around for years and I think I, I coined it when I was in my teenage years maybe or not longer that not long after that is that humankind's greatest mistake is to think that the world was made for humans hmm. and that's certainly the way we tend to approach it as as this we are the end of evolution we are the top of the chain we are this earth is here for our convenience and and that's it's not a perspective that we can afford to have long term. The earth is not here for us, and we are not the end all be all of evolution. We're just one little dot on the timeline of life. Wow, well, this is a great note to end this conversation on. I hope uh, you've been inspired by listening to Todd and me speak about life, about holistic medicine, about approaching the world maybe with a larger awareness. Todd, thank you so much for hosting me here. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for being on the show. It's been great. Thank you so much. I'm glad we were able to do this. I hope you too enjoyed this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast, and join me and others in the conversation on Facebook, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast on Facebook. Wherever you are, have yourself a summer day.